All right, welcome back, everybody. It's Joe Howie and Peter DiBiase here for Providence POV. It's currently Monday, January 8th. You'll be listening to this Tuesday morning of the 9th. Providence this week fell out of the AP Top 25 following back-to-back losses. We talked about Seton Hall. We're going to talk about the Creighton loss today. But first and most importantly, Peter, what's going on? How you doing? I know you're a Bills fan, so you're probably a little bit better in better spirits than the rest of the Friar faithful. <laughs> yeah, it was a good, obviously, good Bills win on uh, Sunday night, which helped, I guess, soften the blow of a tough Providence loss yeah. on Saturday. Uh, maybe a loss that, I guess, you and I, we didn't say it out loud, but kind of maybe you and I texted or just internally kind of expected just mm-hmm. of how the week went and obviously just playing on the road, even with a fully healthy roster, a game that you could obviously easily lose. And, look, obviously we're going to get into it. They they hung tough, um, but they didn't make enough shots in, I guess, critical moments that kind of cost them and probably the reason they lost by nine. Yeah. Um, listen, it's not, it's not a bad loss. Um, you know, on the road at Creighton, typically, you know, year in, year out, Personally, I always benchmark that as a loss because it's the farthest that you have to travel for the season. It's one of the tougher road environments, and Creighton plays really well at home. So um, I wasn't expecting a win. Um, part of me thought, you know, maybe the, the guys will rally and do something great, like a big road upset in honor of Hop. But, um, you know, a nine point loss to Creighton, you cover the spread. It's not the end of the world. It's just, you know, there were some things down the stretch that, you know, really bug you and get under your skin. Um, Credit to the team. They they did overcome an 18-point hole uh, to cut the lead to one. So that was really, really good. Um, And mind you, this is is all without Bryce Hopkins, too. So um, keep – do with that what you will. But um, all in all, it, it wasn't a terrible night. It's not a bad loss. Some frustrating things towards the end of the game. But, um you know, onward and upward. There's no moral victories here. It's still a loss on the record. It's still, uh, you know, a loss on the resume. So you do what you do. Yeah, that's a that's a fine mindset. Yeah, and every time you play at Creighton, it's always tough. Creighton, historically, especially since they joined the Big East, but even before they joined the Big East, has been a very, and especially under McDermott, they've been a very good or a great home team. It's a huge arena. It's one of the bigger arenas in the country in the Big East. It's it's in Omaha, Nebraska, right? Like, no offense to Omaha. There's obviously not a professional team out there or a big professional team out there. So Creighton basketball is everything for them. Uh, yeah. So it's everything for them. So they treat – and not saying that obviously other fan bases don't treat it like that, but it's literally everything for them. So they treat it like a professional team. And they have one of the best crow uh, – crowd home environments in the big east and in the country so you always have to respect that even the great fire teams over the years have struggled to win at crane and even great big east teams have struggled to win at crane so i'm not faulting them losing at creighton and i even said a couple months ago like even with a fully healthy rice hopkins or a fully healthy team i probably would have marked this as a loss and i did it when i did my season predictions but yeah. you still have to analyze the game as it's a separate entity as always and look like i said they didn't make enough shots, Joe, right? Like, it's it's easy to say that, but it's kind of true. Like, and we, we're we at the point of the year, and we all know it's been spoken a million times, Bryce Hopkins is obviously out for the year. So other guys 
are going to have to step up, right? Yep. And I just didn't think we saw that, right? Like Corey Floyd in 29 minutes had no points. Mm-hmm. Like that just can't happen, especially now he is going to be starting and he is he started on Saturday. Garway Duell dealt with an injury. So I don't I think that's probably probably want to chalk that up to like an NA kind of game. I know he played 12 minutes, but he even at that yeah. end, he was taking so much pain with that shoulder. He got yanked again at the end of the game. We got or what I mean yanked. I mean he got took into taken to the bench, he kind of like checked himself yeah. out because it looked like his arm was kind of like hanging down where like an arm's not supposed to be doing that. So <laughs> you had that injury and Hopefully, I don't know where he is, his status for Wednesday. And obviously, it's college basketball, so they won't tell you until like an hour and a half before the game anyway. But so you dealt with that injury. But we just didn't see enough guys, I think, step up around uh, the key guys. And some of the key guys didn't step up. Joshua Joe, four for 17 from the field. Yep. You, Joe, you mentioned off, off air, 0 for 5 from 3. Took five threes, which is very unexpected. Only had three rebounds, nine points. Struggled against Kalkbriner offensively and defensively. And then you had Pierre three for nine. Uh, he was a good assist to turnover ratio with five for one. Yeah. I, I just didn't think we saw enough guys step up. And then one of our key guys in Joshua Joro had probably, I thought he had his worst game against Seton Hall. He probably followed it up with probably an even worse performance, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. It, it, let's start with Oduro here. Um, because I, I think you're right. I, Oduro didn't have a good game against Seton Hall. He started really hot and then, um, uh, Kim put it interestingly in the Seton Hall post game press conference. He said Josh gets bored when things start going well for him like that, or he's something to the tune of that. Um, and we saw uh, Josh struggle against Ryan Kalkbrenner this Saturday at Creighton. And listen, I know that Kalkbrenner is year in and year out a, a all biggie selection. Um, I am one of the few people that thinks that he might not be so deserving and that, you know, for someone his size and height, he should be recording a double-double every game. Um, Listen, he's a fine player. He's there for a reason. But I just remember the days when Nate Watson would swallow him whole. Uh, Or last year when Ed Croswell, uh, you know, stole his lunch money at the dunk. So I think, you know, Huduro made Ryan Kalkbrenner look like an NBA all-star on Saturday when really, you know, that's probably one of his better performances of the year. Anyway, not to talk about Kalkbrenner, but Josh, um, yeah, he struggled. You know, four for 17 from the floor is very unlike him. He took five threes, which I know you mentioned, which is just like, dude, what do you – come on. <laughs> like, I know you can you can make it if you're wide open, but he hasn't made a three in a very long time. So to take five is just so uncharacteristic. Three rebounds and only nine points, zero blocks. So, it, it really uncharacteristic. And I said to I said to this to you off air, Peter. Um, it didn't feel like we played without Bryce Hopkins, but it felt like we played without Josh Aduro because it was so uncharacteristic of him to, you know what? To, I'm just gonna say to be so soft the way that he was. Um, and I like Josh. I'm not. I don't want to knock him. And you know, it's it's actually. I'm struggling to critique him right now because I like the way that he's played up until this point. But um, you know, we hold we hold everybody accountable on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, we've been ha- ha- uh, highly critical of other players as well. And look, we talked about this earlier in the year, uh, Joe, against the lesser opponents that Providence faced on their schedule. Uh, that 
Josh Adoro, Ticket Gaines, the guys that are transferring in from an A-10 school, it's it's a step up, right? And we see a lot of guys flourish in this transfer portal uh, era of college basketball, guys coming from a lower conference like the A-10, going into a Power 6 conference like the Big East, and having great success. But we've also seen guys have struggled, right? It's a step up once you get into the Big East. And I think Kalkbrenner is one of the better big men in the Big East. But once again, Josh Adoro is going to face another great big man on Wednesday in Joel Soriano against St. John, yep. right? Like it doesn't get any easier for Josh Adoro. We're lucky that he doesn't have to face uh Fremantle for Xavier, right? Like, yeah. because that, that would be another tough matchup. And obviously he hasn't faced Klingon yet and or Eric Dixon yet. Like there's a lot of good big men. And you and I have laid that out early in the year where it's great that he's having great performances against the Columbia's or the Sacred Hearts, or even some of the earlier games in the big East. But when you face these big men in the big East, it's, it's a lot of Big East games and because a lot of Big East teams aren't great shooting teams. It's historically not a great shooting conference. Obviously, Crane historically is a good three-point shooting team. Is Marquette's a good three-point shooting team. But historically, in the new era of the Big East, it's not a historically great shooting conference as a whole, right? It's mm-hmm. a lot of times, like in the football games, one in the trenches, one down low. And we lost down low, and that was a huge factor. When you get bullied down low, and it's not just Josh Adoro, it's Rafael Castro, it's other guys getting into the lane. Uh, Pierre had a couple missed layups. I thought Devin Carter had a couple missed layups. Like, we got owned in the paint from the big men to the guards, right? When you get owned in the paint and when you get dominated in the paint, you, you, you're not going to win a lot of games in the Big East. Unless you, go, unless you shoot crazy from three, which we did not, eight for 23, you were not going to win a lot of games. And I thought we just didn't have a good enough presence down low to kind of keep us in this game. Look, Joe, you said it. We went from 18 to a one point game, right? And I'm going to credit the fires on that behalf, but then they let it slip away because they couldn't make shots yeah. under four minutes. Yeah. No, I, I mean, the, everything you said about the paint is more than true. Um, without hop. Now we're even thinner down low. So, you know, the, it, it's almost at the point now where, you know, Castro, it, it, he comes in and, and you just worry if he's even going to catch the basketball or not. So, um, again, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to bash on him, but, it, you know, the, the front court is, is definitely something that we have to monitor going forward. Um, 18 points down, Providence cuts it to one off of a monstrous Devin Carter three. So y- you can't ignore that. Y- you have to acknowledge the the fight and the tenacity of the group to to go from 18 to one and still leave time to win the game, right? Like it was, the score was 56, 55 with a little over four minutes left to go. That's plenty of time to take over, but then you got to make your shots. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, to the theme that you brought up before Peter, just nobody stepped up besides Devin Carter and, you know, you really you cannot uh, fault Devin Carter for anything that he did on Saturday. Maybe the hero ball jump shot from the corner late in the game, but he because he did everything. Like he was rebounding, he was getting fouled, making free throws, hitting threes, hitting mid range layups, like blowing past people. He was defending. He was literally doing everything that you could ask of him. He put the honestly his performance gets lost in the loss. Twenty five points. 10 rebounds, 11 for 22 from the field, right? Like uh, a steal, three assists. Like he had a great game. Um, 
but Devin Carter can't single-handedly win games. And this is where, you know, guys like Corey Floyd, Rich Barron, uh, you know, if he wasn't hurt, Garway Dual, Castro, like this is where the role-playing guys need to step up. Um, I'm going to give credit to Jaden and to Ticket because I thought they, they stepped it up in the scoring column. And I think Ticket specifically, you know, brought his rebounding game, nine rebounds. That's, he does, he's not a rebounder. He's not really a mm-hmm. post guy, but he was attacking the glass, right? Right. Like he yeah. got the message. He got the message loud and clear that, you know, it was his responsibility to make up for hops, uh, you know, backboard production. And that's what he did. He chipped in 12 points, was 50% from beyond the arc, five from nine from the field. Ticket had a good game. Jaden Pierre, five assists, 10 points, only one turnover. He cleaned it up. He played a really good game. But at the end of the game, you need guys to step up is what it comes down to. And Devin Carter can't do it all. Yeah, you you were I think Ticket Gaines, I agree with you. I think Ticket Gaines had one of his not his best performance, but one of his better performances. I think he, he was obviously most well rounded. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. He was solid offensively with 12 points and shot pretty efficiently. Good rebounds. Uh, it was a good rebound. I I just the one thing that worries me, and this is maybe more of a bigger picture look at it, like where else do we get scoring from, right? Like Jaden Pierre had 10 points. I thought he was a pretty solid facilitator, had four steals. Still didn't shoot the ball particularly well. I thought he struggled when he got into the lane, right? Maybe that's just Kalkbrenner being the, the big man presence that he is, the, the height differential, obviously. But I thought Pierre didn't, was not aggressive enough getting in into the lane. So where does the scoring happen? Like Corey Floyd Jr. was a former four-star recruit. Like Corey, when we have, and Joe, we've had high expectations coming into this year. He was probably, if someone was going to mention some guy taking that leap or having a huge presence, a huge step on this team in the offseason, 95% of Friars fans or just people that cover the team would have said Corey Floyd Jr. And we yep. have not, we've seen it a couple games, we have not seen it consistently. And if this team wants to get back, obviously, into a rhythm and winning Big East games and get, obviously, eventually into the NCAA tournament, but obviously that's looking a little far too far down the road. If this team wants to start winning games and go beat St. John's on Wednesday, go beat Xavier on Saturday, like, Corey Ford Jr. is going to have to be effective. Like, 0 for 3 shooting in 29 minutes is unacceptable, just to put it. Just to put it frank, like I don't, want, I don't want to just come at the kid, but you, you're in the starting lineup. You have Garway Dual play 12 minutes because he gets injured, and he's clearly injured the whole game, even when he was on the court post that shoulder or arm injury. Corey Ford Jr. Ha- has to start stepping up, and I think yep. all of a sudden he's thrust into a starting role, and he's thrust into having to contribute offensively. Why? When Bryce Hopkins was here, he could, but he didn't, wasn't like. We were relying on Corey Floyd Jr. It was nice when Corey Floyd Jr. contributed offensively. He made the team way better. Now it's almost a must if this team wants to start winning games. I think with Corey Floyd, too, I would really like to see, you know, some three-point opportunities drawn up for him out of a set play. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I thought he was fantastic last year when plays were called for him. Uh, and so far this season, you know, I think specifically on Saturday, we saw a lot of Corey Floyd, like you said, driving into the paint, getting stopped up because of Kalkbrenner and picking up his dribble, looking to dish out. And that's not really his game, right? Like he was 
Last year, he was a three and D guy. He hit big threes and he was great defensively. Like Corey Floyd, you know, maybe that the steal and score against UConn in the Big East tournament, like that's a highlight real play, or the one hand alley oop from Carter in the tournament, that's a highlight real play. But a lot of the Corey Floyd, you know, emphasis buckets came from deep. He made 13 threes last season. He's only made four this season. So I, I think you need more three point opportunities for him. Um, and yeah, that's really that's the end. That's the end of that point. You, Corey Floyd needs to take more threes. I don't know why we have him driving into into the paint. Uh, that should really be that should be Carter or that should be Pierre because there are you know one two point guard uh, combo there. They're they're the ones that should be driving and dishing. It shouldn't be Corey Floyd. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's now all of a sudden it's a lot of pressure. And I think you can tell Kim English is is learning on the fly here, right? Like, and I'm not going to knock him for his coaching, but you and I, I don't know if we, I don't know if we said this on air or when I mean on air, I mean, when we're recording, we record or off the air, but we, I think it was off air when you and I kind of listed out coaches and where Kim English kind of ranks. I think that was off air. Maybe that wasn't even with you. I have no idea. No, that, no, that was with me. We did it off air. Off air. Okay. I'm not obviously going to start listing coaches, but everyone knows where Kim English sits in the big East, right? Like it's his first year. It's a step up from the A-10. To the Big East, and I mentioned it with Josh Adoro to step up from the A10 to the Big East. Same thing happens with Kim English. Kim English is the youngest coach in the Big East, like he and he's yeah a newcomer. It's his first time in this conference, so it's going to have lumps. And I get it; we can be critical of Kim English. We can be obviously uh, you have to be obviously, but there's we're there's going to be lumps where it doesn't always feel fluid. It doesn't always feel great. And he does have a system of he wants you to shoot the ball, right? Like everyone's shooting the ball. And I saw him a couple of times. He got mad because I think Ticket Gaines stepped with the one play when Ticket Gaines stepped out of bounds. Ticket Gaines has actually done that a couple of times in the corner. Kind of weird. But he did yeah. that against Creighton on Saturday. And I, then they panned to Kim English and he said, shoot the ball. Like right away, shoot the ball. And he didn't. He stepped out of bounds and obviously it was a turnover. And the ball went back to Creighton. So I think Kim English is starting to learn on the fly. And all of a sudden, you start learning on the fly. You rely on your veterans. And then one of your veterans goes down. And then everything starts kind of spiraling, right? So now, more bigger picture, or even big picture, looking into Wednesday, how does Kim English kind of regroup this team, right? Like, you started 2 0 in Big East play. You beat Marquette. And who's the other team you beat? I'm blanking right now. Butler. Butler. Thank you. You beat, I was thinking, you beat uh, Marquette, huge win. And you took care of business against Butler, both at home. You lose to Scene Hall in a tough game where you could have won, but you also could have lost, and obviously lost. You lose to you lose Bryce Hopkins, and then you lose. Your first road game as a coach at Creighton. Now, where do you go from here? You're sitting at two and two in conference. You fall out of the AP poll. You're eleven and four overall. And this is kind of where we're we're going to see. This is a gut check time for the Friars. Yep. Like, who do they want to be this year? Do they want to be a fifteen to seventeen win team that barely maybe makes the NIT or don't, or do they want to be a nineteen plus win team that is battling for an NCAA tournament spot and a Big East tournament championship? Like, where do they want to be when it comes to the season? I'm not saying it's do or die on Wednesday. I'm not doing that. They have games they can win coming up. But Wednesday is a huge kind of gut check. When you and I are recording Thursday night, Joe, and when people are listening Friday morning, and if we're recapping a win on Wednesday, I think this you and I are gonna going to have a totally different outlook on this season. Yeah. No, I agree with you. The, Wednesday is a very pivotal point for this team. Um you know, you know, I'm not going to knock Kim 
yet. I think, you know, he's one of the younger and more inexperienced coaches in the Big East. And ironically enough, he's going against one of the most uh, tenured and decorated coaches in the history of college basketball on Wednesday and Rick Pitino. So, you know, it's an uphill battle. St. John's is playing really, really good basketball. They just bullied Villanova on their home court on campus. Um, So, you know, I I think you're right, Peter. I think the outlook on this team and the direction that the the remainder of the season is going in is going to be, you know, I'm not going to say dictated because a lot of things can change, but I think we're going to have a better idea coming out of Wednesday's game. Um, and St. John's is a good team. St. John's is a good team. Uh, they have some really good guards. Joel Soriano is a first team all conference caliber player. So a, a win over them at Madison square garden is going to look good on the resume too. Um, so yeah, I think Wednesday. Uh, I'm cautious to say if it makes or breaks the season. I don't think that it does. Um, but I, I think it, it, if you win that game, you build some momentum, right? Mm-hmm. Ideally, I said this to you before we started recording. Ideally, you go one and one this week, right? I think you know a split with a loss at St. John's and a win at home over Xavier is okay. That's stomachable. But if you go two and zero oh and, and you get a you pick up a road win at St. John's and you beat Xavier at home, then you're feeling great. Um, so it, it's all about the response here. It's how do you respond to a tough week? This is where his so what now what mantra, the mindset mantra. This is where all of that needs to start coming into play, right? You get the pass against Creighton. It's a tough place to play. Creighton's a nationally ranked team. Um, you know. It's the first game without your star power forward. So there are so many different reasons. You know, Creighton had a a very friendly home whistle. Baylor Shireman could have punched ticket gains square in the face and there would have been no call. And I know I tweeted that and I'm saying that word for word, but Baylor Shireman literally gets away with everything. Like he took four steps on a layup or five steps on a, uh, you know, he was um, posting up somebody, whatever I'm rambling. Um, you can look past the loss to Creighton on Saturday. There are a ton of factors. I'm not going to call them excuses, but there are a ton of factors that, you know, go against Providence in that one. Fine. You're home. You have a couple of days to reset, practice, and prepare. You're not flying to Madison Square Garden, right? That's a that's a, a three-hour train or yeah. a drive for Providence. The opportunity is there to get back in the win column and to restart rebuilding some momentum that's been lost. If you lose, it's not the end of the world, but it's how you play in the loss that matters. If you roll over and let St. John's get whatever shots they want, kind of like we let Creighton do in the first half, then, you know, there's signs for concern. If you compete, if you battle, if you defend tough, if guys step up and make shots and do the things that they are supposed to do, okay, maybe the outlook's a little different. Yeah, and I think the one final thing on the Creighton game, I, I think they, I think they battled, right? 
on on Saturday, and I think you can take away from that. I, obviously, there wasn't a clean forty minutes. If it was a clean, good forty minutes from the fries, they would we would be talking about a win right now. But I do think they battled, and I, I think there was positives. But I thought I agree with you when you just said, Joe, the first half defensively, they weren't physical enough. They weren't uh, kind of gritty enough, and they didn't kind of grind it out. I think St. John's on Wednesday is going to be more closer to the Seton Hall type of game, right? Like, I don't think St. John's is a great offensive team as. As a whole, they're 100 and they've been better offensively than I thought. They're they're 49th in the in the country in scoring, but they're 165th in field goal percentage. St. John's on Wednesday, so I think Wednesday is going to be more of a grinded out game, less of what Creighton was over the weekend. Yeah. Well, to to give St. John's credit, you know they've beaten every Big East opponent that they've played by double figures with the exception of UConn, but that was at UConn and they only lost by four, right? They beat Xavier 81 66. Mm -hmm. They beat Butler 86 70 and they went on the road and beat Villanova 81 71. And that final score is a little misleading because, you know, they were up by like 15, 18. I have to double check the, the game cast there, but they were up by a significant margin mm-hmm. throughout most of that game. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, St. John's uh, has had an up and down year. I think they're still getting used to themselves, but they're, they're starting to click a little bit. You know, the, the wins are starting to come um, and they're home. They don't have to travel. So uh, you got that going against you. You've got Rick Patino. You know, like I had mentioned earlier, he's one of the most experienced coaches in all of college basketball going against, you know, the new guy. So it's going to be an interesting one. Um, I'll be there. You'll also be there. So Mm -hmm. we'll get to see things firsthand. Um, I I always think you take away more when when you watch a game in person. That's just my opinion. I think, you know, you get to see some of the different nuances of the coach and the bench and the interactions a little bit differently than you do on the TV. But again, just my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And looking at some of St. John's stats from afar, like they're not a great three-point shooting team. 131st in three-point percentage in the country. But it's another game where it's Joel Soriano, right? And it's Joel Soriano with a bunch of guards around him. The Dingle, uh, Jordan Dingle, Chris Ledlam, RJ Lewis Jr., who's been very good, or Luis Jr., excuse me, uh, Denise Jenkins. Like It's a, it's a good, solid team. I was, obviously, they have Naheem Aline, who came from UConn last year as well so it's it's a talented team but i do think they're not without flaws right like i think we saw it in non-conference and i agree they are starting to click a little they're three and one in conference obviously the one loss to uconn wins over butler nova on the road and xavier but this is a very i think gettable game for the friars uh but it's it's going to be going to be tougher i I think it's like i said a couple minutes ago i think it's closer to the seton hall type of game than maybe the Creighton game or I guess the Marquette game early on in the year. I think both teams kind of want to grind it out. And I want to see if the Friars can grind it out, right? Like you and I have talked about that, Joe. Like uh, this is is maybe just us looking on past Providence teams and that might be unfair to this Providence team, but they're not a great shooting team. So when you see a team that's not a great shooting team, you kind of lump them into the – you kind of have to grind it out defensively. Like I want to see – if the Friars, look, 69 points is not a terrible mark to give up against Creighton. No. But they're averaging only giving up 64 points per game in the country for the Friars, and that's 18th in um, – 64 points per game they're giving up at the Friars, and that's 18th in the country. I want to see if they can go back defensively 
and kind of make it tough. I, th- I think this has to be a Josh Adoro game again, right? And it doesn't have to be offensively. He doesn't have to take 20 shots, but one, he needs to be efficient, right? Like mm-hmm. he's inefficient down low, it becomes an issue. And two, he's going to be going against Joel Soriano, right? Like if we lose the – if you and I – if we lose on Wednesday, probably the biggest factor why we lost – not me unless St. John's goes crazy from three, which they really haven't this year, is if we lose in the in the paint. If we yeah. lose in the paint and we're not physical enough in the paint, I'm 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 gonna be disappointed because I think we saw on Saturday they weren't. And if you go back and watch the film, if you're the province staff, you probably see that as well. There has to be a response phys- on your physicality on Wednesday against St. John's. Yeah. Also, not to mention too, right? Like Joel Soriano is a technical foul waiting to happen. And um, mm-hmm. That's not meant to disrespect him. I think he is a really, really good player. And if my money was on the line, I'd say he's the best big man in the conference. But he is way too cocky, like to the point where somebody from Villanova touched him at the end of the game and Joel Soriano was ready to rip his head off. Like he is going to get a technical foul at some point this season for the way that he responds to opponent physicality. And, and that's just the truth. If you haven't watched him play yet, or if you're a St. John's fan, you have to agree. He, he's got to control the anger a little bit down low. Um, so I think, you know, if you get him upset, uh, you know, you get him getting his head a little bit, which Josh Oduro can do. He's a physical guy. He's a big physical guy. I, I you know, maybe so a momentum shift. Who knows? Um, one last thing about the Creighton uh, game. I'm okay with letting with giving up 69 points to Creighton. I'm not okay with letting them shoot 48% from the field because mm-hmm. that's just, you know, uh, I forget what the mark was, but Kim wants teams, Kim wants opponents to shoot less than 40% uh, percent from the field, uh, you know, as a benchmark for the Providence defense and 48% to a team like Creighton, just not, they're going to make you pay with those. We're lucky they had an off night from three, but you know, not every team is going to. Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah, I, I agree with you saying 69 points is not the end of the world uh, in the Creighton game. But I agree that the shooting wasn't was good for the for Creighton. It wasn't great for the Friars. But I don't think St. John's is as good of a shooting team. And stats tell you other, uh, tell you agree with that, that they're not a great shooting team. Uh, it, you know what's also a good thing, Joe? About the St. John's game, and I know we're technically on the road. They will be Friars fans there, right? Like, obviously, I think there'll be more St. John's fans. I'm not going it's a on home game for them, so yes, there'll be more St. John's fans, obviously. But I think but, Providence will have a pretty good environment. There's a lot of Providence, Providence grads uh, that are in the the New York, New York City, New Jersey area, right? So I do think the Friars will have a pretty good supporting crowd, which is a little helpful because obviously you had. Near to nothing in Omaha, which is which is expected, right? No, it it, it goes uh, lengths to have fans in the arena backing you, and that's why home court advantage in this conference. I mean, in all of the NCAA, yes, but in the Big East alone is so important, right? Like that's why uh, the Amico Mutual Pavilion is such a, t- a a terrible place to play for road opponents because it's a a a rowdy, hostile road environment, right? That so it helps, right? Like Providence chips into an 18-point lead, cuts it to one, and nobody's cheering for them. If they did that at home, the the roof would be blown off the building and there'd be tall boys on the court. Like like that's 
that's the difference. Um, it's not going to be like that at Madison Square Garden at 6.30 on a Wednesday night, so this isn't to get anybody's hopes up. But there is a very good Friar following in the New York metropolitan area, so uh, I, I think it should be a you know 60-40 St. John's split, if I had to guess. Um, but anyway, we are now 32 minutes in. The last podcast went really long, so I need to get this in. Um, if you haven't already, check out houseenterprise.com. You know, House Enterprise brings you every podcast. You head over to the blog tab, house-enterprise.com. Get over to the blog tab. That's where you'll find this. That's where you'll find the works from some of our really talented writers and content producers. Um, so, yeah, go get over there. Check out the website. Show some love for the house. Peter, any closing thoughts out of you uh, at the end here? Yeah, like Joe, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, you, you you were going to be at the game on Wednesday night. I will be at the game as well, uh, which is exciting. Obviously, we get to see them in person. And I agree, it's easier to dissect the game when you're at the – or post the game when you're at the game, right? And obviously, we'll dissect it Thursday night and break it down for you guys. But look, it's, it's another test for the Friars. Every game in the Big East is going to be another test. It's a road test. But I, when I said about 10 minutes ago that this is kind of – and, I, Joe, you, you kind of danced around it as well, and I danced around it as well, I'm not saying this is a must-win because I think the fifth game in the Big East season is not must-win unless you're 0-4. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, at that point. But 2-2, two and two, it's not a must-win, especially the home game on Saturday. But I do think this is kind of where we see where this team could potentially be, right? Like – and I want to see Kim English. He's, I just saw a tweet when a couple minutes ago. Kim English is the youngest coach in the Big East. Rick Pitino is the oldest coach in the Big East, right? So we got experience versus no experience, uh, which is interesting. And obviously, Rick Pitino, former Friars coach, took them to the Final Four back in his heyday. So kind of a cool little matchup there. Obviously, be a little cooler when Rick, Pino, Rick, Rick Pitino comes back to Providence when they put St. John's oh, yeah. at Providence. But obviously, it's a little little appetizer we get before that. But look, it's it's another it's another gut check game for the Friars. You get to play at MSG, the world's most famous arena. It's it's fun. It's gonna be interesting. And I just want to see how they respond, right? Like you came from two wins, you lose two in a row, you lose one of your best players. It's once again we we thought how we wanted we wanted to see how they would respond on Saturday. And at times I thought they responded great. Down 18 make it one. I also thought at times they just weren't in the game. They didn't respond great and didn't play great. So can they put together 40 minutes? It doesn't even have to be 40 minutes, 36 minutes of good, solid basketball, grind it out, and try to pull a road win. Because if you pull a road win on Wednesday, I think, like I said, Thursday night into Friday when you and I are talking about it, we're going to have a different outlook on this team. Not to mention, right, like this is a three-game road stretch. You steal one road win out of this road stretch. You, won, avoid a three-game losing streak. Oh, no, this isn't a three-game road stretch. I'm... Oh man, this is how my brain's working this week. Um, this is a two-game road stretch. I'm I'm lumping in Seton Hall because I see the L there, but it's not a three-game road stretch. Um, so that forget. <laughs> oh man, forget that point. Um, it's a two-game road stretch. You'd like to split that and then go home feeling less pressure. But if you come out of that with two losses on the road. Uh, behind a loss to Seton Hall. That's three losses. There's a lot of pressure going into that Xavier matchup on Saturday. So a win on Wednesday takes off the pressure. A win on Wednesday puts you at 5-2. and two. You're over 500 in conference play. And a win on Wednesday reminds you that you can still compete with the best of them. So 
it's important to win Wednesday. It's important to play well Wednesday, and guys got to contribute. You know, we can't be ha- we can't be putting up goose eggs in the stat sheet. I agree. You said it perfectly, Joe. All right. At 35 minutes, that's going to do it from us. Uh, for Peter DiBiase, this is Joe Howie. Providence will play St. John's this Saturday. Uh, oh, my God. See? it's <laughs> Oh, man. Providence <laughs> will play St. John's this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. That game will be at Madison Square Garden. Peter and I will both be there. You'll hear from us again Friday morning after we record on Thursday evening. For Peter, this is Joe. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.